Hey, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with John Guandolo. He is founder and president of Understanding the Threat. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Really happy to be here with you. Thank you. Likewise. So can you give us a little bit of an overview of what is Understanding the Threat and why did you start it? Sure. Uh, well, in short, Understanding the Threat is the, uh, the only organization in the West that actually trains communities to identify hostile individuals and um, organizations in their community, in the local community, how to flush them out and reestablish a Republican form of government. That's, that's the, the kind of simplest way to put it. I think um, when, we, when we talk about what do I mean when I say hostile individuals and organizations, and primarily I'm talking about those entities that are corrupting our communities. So it's a conglomerate of the, uh, the, uh, the Islamic movement, the communist movement, their collaborators and their financiers. And so when we talk about, uh, when people ask, like, well, what do we do about the World Economic Forum or what do we do about the United Nations and all that? And the answer is there's nothing you can do about that. And, but what, you, what we do train people to do is where the tentacles of those things touch your local community, in your chamber of commerce, in your local mm -hmm. banking system, in your school systems, et cetera, we show them how to deal with it, but we show them, here's how you identify them, and here are many, many lawful, uh, really First Amendment protected uh, actions you can take to uh, to actually take back your county and your local community, uh, and then talk about how that fits into the larger strategy. Now, to your question, how did I get into it? Yeah, uh, I can tell you, it's <laughs> not how I viewed my career going. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland. I, I'm a Naval Academy graduate, went to the Marines, took a commission as an officer, uh, infantry and reconnaissance officer, and served in combat, and then uh, went into the FBI. And after 9-11, uh, just because of the, the unit I was in, I was in a counterterrorism division, and because of some of the investigations I was working, I came to see that all of the prominent Islamic organizations in the United States have the same objective as Al-Qaeda at the time, because there was no ISIS, uh, and Hezbollah and Hamas. And, and we started looking at cases that were tied to Al-Qaeda and Hamas with all these organizations. And it was quite a web. And the more I dug, the worse it got. And so I started talking to agents and analysts and police officers, task force officers and other uh, cities around the country, and they had no idea what I was talking about. So I started hosting like one day with permission from my office, one day trainings. And over time, as other people got to understand what I was talking about and what I was teaching, and I was teaching other agencies like Park Police, Capitol Police, Intel units. And as that continued, um, I realized we needed a much bigger training program uh, because we had a lot of agents and leaders around the country, not just in the FBI, in, in other organizations that were making decisions based on relationships with leaders of these Islamic organizations who were hostile, but our people thought they were friendly. Oh, wow. And so uh, in 2006, I started the, I created the first training program in the government on uh, this movement, uh, which obviously prominently features the Muslim Brotherhood, what their doctrine actually is, why they do what they do, the networks and what their modus operandi uh, mm -hmm. is, uh, and how they work together with other different entities, uh, hostile entities. Well, 
uh, at when I ran this training, it was a two week long training. We had every agency there, every federal agency that touched this, the NSA, CIA, FBI, uh, DIA, Department of Justice, uh, as I mentioned, police and analysts from numerous field offices around the country. Uh, and, and those kinds of, we had about 50 people in the class and it was two weeks long, which was unheard of in the Bureau, but this took a long time to lay out and unpack what they were actually doing, how they were doing it. Wow. And so as I continued doing this work at the, at the end of 2008, I got recruited out of the FBI by the Department of, uh, Department of Defense to do strategic work on this threat with another guy that they had recruited out of the joint staff at the Pentagon who had worked with uh, Chairman Pete Pace, General Pace. And they put us together and we began briefing senior leaders. So former FBI directors, CIA directors, DIA directors, chairman in the Congress and the House, uh, Intelligence Committee, Homeland Security, three and four star generals and admirals. And I was shocked that we never briefed anybody that had a clue about what we were talking about. And these were the people that were supposed to be in charge of our national security and leading uh, the nation. And so it was then, I mean, I realized in 2005 and six, there were some real disconnects with mm -hmm. understanding, you know, we were at war at that point in Iraq and Afghanistan and our leaders had no idea why. Mm -hmm. um, they just would say, well, 9-11 or something, but why are these guys fighting us? We couldn't get anybody to answer the question, which is, uh, besides being unprofessional, it's uh, dangerous. You can't win wars like that. Right. So what ended up happening is, as we were doing this work, we saw that in the United States, communist organizations like ANSWER, Act Now, Stop, War, and Racism, which is a communist organization, Code Pink, Communist Party USA, Democratic Socialists of America, all these communist organizations were working with these jihadi organizations. And so um, I put together training programs and we adjusted our training programs uh, to, to, to meet this. So in 2009, I, I created a two week long program that actually trained people to teach what we were teaching because we needed to multiply this around the country. And again, this is the only program of its kind in the West. And we have had people from Europe, uh, Canada, and all across the United States attend over the years. Um, but when uh, the previous, the Obama administration defunded our work in the Department of Defense, that's the reason I stood up this organization, understanding the threat to basically continue the work I've done in the FBI and the Department of Defense to teach police, citizens, and leaders about these threats and how to view uh, the war through the lens of, uh, of the other side. Wow. I have a couple of questions from that. Uh, one is, how long do you think that these organizations, these communist organizations, have been working in conjunction uh, with these uh, jihadi organizations? You know, like you mentioned, to answer Code Pink. Right. right. Certainly, certainly since uh, prior to 9 11, uh, but they've really developed their relationships. I mean, late 90s, we see a, a growing relationship there. Yeah. Um, and we could go back decades, but really, yeah. the, it, I, would, our, I would explain it this way at the local level at the ground level across the United States, Europe, Canada, uh, the communists and jihadis are working seamlessly. It's amazing the level of coordination and the level of uh, intricate planning that they're doing together is, is really fascinating. So for instance, uh, Black Lives Matter was created out of a Chinese communist organization, Freedom Road Socialist Organization. Uh, and Liberation Road, which came out of that is arguably the largest of these communist organizations. So you see uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa working with Al Qaeda and ISIS on the, right. on the military side. On the ground side, you see Hamas organizations like the Council on American Islamic Relations, uh, other Muslim Brotherhood organizations like 
Islamic Society of North America, Muslim American Society, Islamic Circle of North America, all working with Black Lives Matter, and those, those kinds of things at the ground level. So we see, for instance, uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter demonstrations out in California where they're walking down the street chanting death to America. Well, this is the kind of stuff we see in Iran and in the Middle East from Muslim countries. So it's fascinating that you're literally seeing complete cross-pollinization. And, it, and it, honestly, it goes as deep as you will see communists wearing pro-Hamas t-shirts, pro-Palestine t-shirts, and you'll see uh, jihadis wearing Che Guevara t-shirts when they're together doing this stuff. It's really fascinating to watch, um, but it's, it's powerful and they're, they're kicking our butts uh, at the national and international level right now uh, because the United States has decided not to address these in any strategic way. Right. No, for sure. Um, I, I think it's fast. I really do think this is very fascinating. I had kind of a gut intuition about this about 10 years ago, which was probably late, but a lot, there were people, including my father who kind of laughed at me for suggesting it. Um, but I'm curious why you think that they partnered and why it is that they are working as such a united front. Cause I don't think that's obvious to a lot of people. I have, you know, my thoughts on that, but I I'm really curious what your thoughts, you know, why you think that is. Right, from the communist perspective, um, I think it's an operational arrogance. They think uh, they're gonna utilize the, uh, the Muslim community, uh, specifically the jihadi community to advance what they're doing. And in the end, the communists will take power and uh, the jihadis will either cede power, or the communists will you know, kind of push them down. From the jihadi perspective, uh, they operate and only operate under the uh, complete parameters of Sharia, uh, Islamic law. Mm -hmm. And that allows them to work with pretty much anybody. Right. So long as they themselves, the, the jihadis never violate Sharia, Islamic law. And so they will work with the communists, but um, the if God forbid, if they ever actually succeed, uh, but they have succeeded in, in several countries in Europe, uh, and they will, uh, our assessment has been for well over 12 years, they're going to take a number of countries in Europe. Uh, and when they do, uh, the jihadis will slaughter the communists. Um, all the people, you know, these people walking down the streets, uh, you know, LGBT for, for Islam and stuff, they're going to be the first ones that they that get killed. Right. Uh, and they don't understand this. This is the way it always works. It's the way historically it's always worked. Uh, from both the communist perspective, who got, you know, who gets killed uh, in communist uh, Russia and other communist regimes? Uh, who does, you know, Chairman Mao kill? I mean, they kill the elites, they kill the academia, they kill the, the homosexuals, they kill the, the dissenters. Yeah. Those are the people that get killed, uh, sad to say. And yet you have people in the United States and Europe who are part of these groups who are defending the jihadis and defending the communists. They're being used as tools, right? That's right. That's right. Useful idiots. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's very, very sad. Why? So you said that it, the federal program was uh, disbanded under Obama. Is that, is that what you were saying? Well, the, the training right. I ran. Yeah. We only ran it twice. Once okay. in August, 2006. And then at the end of 2006 into 2007, we ran a joint program with the park police, US Park Police uh, and many other agencies. It was a, actually a huge crowd uh, of, of law enforcement um, and intelligence professionals. Uh, and we ran it two days a week for, for uh, five weeks. So the same number of training days just made it a little easier uh, for the folks who couldn't take two straight weeks. So. In any, in any event, that's the only time since 2007, January, wow. this program's never been run. So if you want to know it's why your FBI and other agencies are clueless about what's going on, it's because they've not been trained in it. And I can tell you, there's no training right now in the government that teaches the truth about the act, these actual threats. Right. And, and why didn't they continue it? Uh, well, because the uh, 
U.S. Muslim Brotherhood shut this material down uh, under President Obama early in his uh, uh, first term in office. Uh, there was a significant purge, uh, both at the, in, inside the civilian government and the military war colleges, um, you know, Joint Forces Staff College, uh, major purge there. And the chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the time was, was behind that. So it's been, a, it's been a disaster for a long time. Uh, and I want to say for your, your viewers and listeners yeah. who may not understand, uh, you have to understand that the government is not merely influenced by these people. They were influenced by them in 2003 and four. Uh, these people control the, uh, the levers of power in the key components of government. And let me just give ask. a few, yeah, let me just give you a few examples. You know, uh, Abdurrahman Alamudi during the Clinton administration was the senior Islamic advisor to Mr. Clinton and Mr. Gore for eight years. Um, and he's the guy that created the Muslim chaplain program in the Department of Defense. He worked with the Department of Education on what goes into public school textbooks about Islam. Uh, he worked with the State Department as a goodwill ambassador and literally participated overseas and Middle East peace process on behalf of the US government, Abdurrahman Alamudi. And he was a Al-Qaeda financier who got sentenced to 23 years in prison. And it was a case that our squad worked and we were, banging the drum to get this guy picked up long before uh, he got picked up in, uh, in, in England um, and getting people to understand even when he was in custody, his impact on the global Islamic movement. He was a senior Al-Qaeda financier and he was working as an Islamic advisor for years. The, the Islamic advisor, the, the one Muslim in America that was in the White House more than any other, um, who had open access to the president. So what does that tell you that he's Al Qaeda about the ability of the FBI and secret service to vet people, for instance? Um, that's one example. That's just one example. Uh, you've got uh, Gulmarad Kalimov, whose name nobody probably knows, know. uh, except dorks like me. But uh, mm -hmm. here's a guy that was trained five times by the State Department in weapons and tactics, including trading in the United States. And he's an ISIS commander. Now, how does that happen? And the State Department, when they were challenged, why in the hell would you train an ISIS commander? They said, well, he went through all of our vetting. Well, clearly your vetting doesn't work. Uh, unbelievable. And, and so what I'm, I'm sharing this because your audience needs to understand the, the, the federal government's ability to identify and to discern friend from foe is not only, you know, broken, it's just, it's catastrophically rigged in the opposite direction. It's that bad. And we could literally, I have many articles, uh, they can go to our blog at understandingthethreat.com. We have many articles about the number of people inside the government who have worked in positions of authority who are al-Qaeda, ISIS, Hezbollah, Hamas, and then on the low end, Muslim Brotherhood, which should have no part in our government. The guy who was the uh, Farouk Mitha, who was the Islamic advisor to President, um, uh, excuse me, Mrs. Clinton during her presidential run. Uh, the guy who was Mr. Biden's um, Islamic advisor, why we need an Islamic advisor, I don't know, but uh, during his run for, for president is a Hamas leader. And this is, this is how deep it goes. And, and you can, um, we can walk through the number of people inside the government, um, not only in elected positions who are jihadis, uh, but who are communists. And those people who are in advisory roles who are communists and jihadis. Um, and, and I'll guess on the communist side, let me just give one example. Mm -hmm. I'm shocked that most patriots uh, that we speak to, uh, like big groups, small groups, when I ask them, are you aware James Comey is a communist or at least was a communist? Mm -hmm. And most people shake their heads. What are you talking about? 
And I say, well, don't believe Mayor. Here's a 2003 New York Magazine article where he says, and I quote, I was a communist, not sure where I'm, I am politically right now. Now, here's the point. Yeah. In a world that's sane and a federal government that's functional, right. that day that that's published, there are FBI agents knocking on his door. He's relieved of his duties at the Department of Justice. A counterintelligence investigation is open mm -hmm. and it goes from there. And if he's found that he actually is a communist, that's a, that's a problem uh, for a lot of counterintelligence region, reasons uh, and a lot of reasons why he can't swear an oath of office legitimately. But here's the... In, one, in my opinion, one of the biggest gold nuggets to show you how catastrophically compromised our government is. Not only does that not happen to James Comey, he's elevated to the position of FBI director. Right. After openly admitting he was a communist. Yeah. That's how broken our government is, how catastrophically corrupt it is. Yes. And I can tell you, I, as a former FBI agent, I'm well aware of the investigations that were shut down that should have been, I mean, we just had a, I just had an interview this morning about it uh, because I was heavily involved in the investigations of the Saudis after the 9-11 uh, and the Saudis are up to their eyeballs uh, in 9-11. They had intelligence officers running dry runs a year before 9-11. The Saudi ambassador to the United States who was the golden boy uh, for the Bush family, Bondar, Prince Bondar, was in, was in direct, was literally funneling money out of his own accounts to a guy handling two of the hijackers. And on senior Al-Qaeda leaders, Abu Zabeda, they found Prince Bondar's non-published uh, private estate in Aspen, Colorado, and Al-Qaeda operatives had the numbers on their persons of his security people. So uh, I'm just touching the, the tip of the iceberg to make the point. It is unbelievable at the, the level of corruption in our federal government, which is why what we do at Understanding the Threat is literally completely focused at the, uh, at the local level. And I hope yeah. that makes sense. No, that absolutely makes so much sense. And it makes sense why, you know, I, I think a lot of people who are not very versed in this, you know, just innocently question, why is our FBI not investigating things? You know, right. like, you know, why have they not uh, investigated even, you know, assassin attempts on presidents, right? That, that we hear nothing about, right? They, they don't, and certainly like they had all this information on Gen 6 and, you know, we, we, we don't hear any of the bottom of any of it. And it, it, it sounds like it's because that that's by design. That's not, it's not a failure to, it's not incompetence, it's corruption. Yeah. And I want to, I want to really say, this is an important point you're bringing up mm -hmm. and I, I don't want it to go by your, um, your audience. Yeah, please. This is built on relationships. Mm -hmm. So president George W. Bush, mm -hmm. That's what uh, I was thinking. Yeah. Based on a long-standing personal relationship with uh, with Prince Bandar, uh, a very close personal relationship. Uh, what we have seen, and what I've seen in the last twenty years, uh, both in the FBI and the DoD, and now uh, you know running and leading, understanding the threat, is I've spoken with and briefed uh, well over hundred members of Congress. All those people I mentioned before. And when we look at how does the enemy do what it does, it does it by going to a general, going to a senator, going to somebody who's the chair of the intelligence committee and saying, hey, I worked with uh, you know, Secretary of State Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice, and I worked under Democrat and Republican administrations. And so we trust their bona fides based on that, instead of doing our homework and saying, oh, but this guy's a senior Muslim Brotherhood leader in the United States. Right. And when we actually look at the facts on the table, uh, they're overwhelming, overwhelming. I mean, the fact that there wasn't military action taken against Saudi Arabia after 9-11 is, uh, is unbelievable to somebody like me who looked at the entire 
breadth of the hundreds of millions of dollars that were poured into Saudi Arabia, the Muslim World League, which uh, is a literally created by the Saudi royal family 60 years ago, uh, and, and hundreds of millions of dollars for Al-Qaeda and, and the, the global terrorism uh, poured right through that. And yet it still exists. As a matter of fact, last week it hosted a interfaith summit and uh, you know, nitwit Christian leaders from uh, the UK and the United States went there um, because it's, you know, everyone's friendly and they're so nice. And these include like senior, senior Christian leaders like Sam Brownback and uh, the leader of the National Evangelical Association and uh, other idiots who uh, uh, fall into this trap and, and don't seem to understand um, or don't want to understand. They just want to get along. They don't want to do the right thing. And my point is, it's out of personal relationships that these people are blinded and, uh, and utilized. But, you know, if um, some average citizen got fooled, that's one thing. But when you uh, are in an official position and you allow yourself uh, to be rendered uh, witless by our adversary, well, that means you're incompetent. And when your incompetence leads to Americans being killed, uh, that's criminal negligence. And we put doctors and lawyers in jail for that. And I think we should be putting some of our uh, leaders on both sides of the political aisle in jail for it because Americans are dead because uh, they're unprofessional and incompetent. And in some cases, nefarious and traitorous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to address uh, when you were talking about working at the local level, I, I always say that all politics are local people. It's probably the one place where I think there is potential to effectuate change and, you know, where there is some hope. Can you explain a little bit about how that works? Because I think that a lot of people are kind of deluded by the appeal of working at the federal level, you know, even patriots who, you know, ideologically, you would think that they're not top down uh, advocates, but that that is kind of what they end up being, you know, they get, they get motivated by the, the federal elections, and they tend to do nothing when we have local, uh, or they don't tend to get very involved. So uh, I think people just don't understand how much power that has and how that can trickle up per se, or, you know, ripple, have a ripple effect. Can you talk right. a little bit about that? Yeah, that is a great question. So thank you for asking that. Mm -hmm. And let me start by making a couple uh, very blunt comments. Uh, the war for the soul of America and for the future of the Republic will not be won at the, at the national level, at the federal level. It cannot be. Uh, number number one, number two, a red wave, as I keep hearing, will not save America. I, and I, here's my challenge to all of your your viewers: is think of the individual you think would be the best legislator, the best member of Congress or Senate. And if we had 535 of those people right now in Congress, the impact would be minimal. And here's why: because the bureaucracy that controls the federal and the uh, Key components of the government, treasury, state, health, human services, agriculture, uh, et cetera, uh, they're all controlled by adversaries of, of the republic. And so because of that, both and because the, the Islamic network and the communist network literally has thousands of organizations in the United States, um, and this is what we train and teach people to, to show them, you can't win at the federal level. The impact is always going to be minimal. Now, if I transpose that into a military um, perspective, from a military perspective, what's going on in the United States with these massive networks, this is an insurgency. It's actually, it's different. These are actually movements, capital M movements. It's a different kind of warfare. This is political warfare, Mao's political warfare. And yeah. That means they're attacking on dozens and dozens of lines of operation. They're attacking local schools. They're attacking your economic sector. They're attacking your culture. They're attacking everything in your society from top to bottom, federal government, state government, local government. They're attacking everything about the society. That's what political warfare is. 
Right. And on the, that's on the communist side, on the, on the Islamic side, the Islamic, the Quranic concept of war is exactly the same. For them, it's, it's everything from spiritual warfare to economic warfare to destroying everything of your enemies. And they're doing it. Either one of these movements could bring down the Republic, but they're literally working seamlessly from the international level down to the local level and, you know, Topeka, Kansas and uh, Nashville, Tennessee and Charlotte, North Carolina and, and Dallas, Texas, where, where I am. And so that's, that is why uh, both what you said, the power of the individual citizen is most uh, impactful and effective, efficacious at the local level, at the county level. That is why uh, myself and Steve Coughlin and, and Rich Higgins uh, several years ago when he was still alive actually built the national strategy. And the focus of the national strategy is you must attack it at the county level, at the local level. You must teach people to identify these networks and the key leaders, flush them out of your community and reestablish a Republican form of government at the county level. And you build, you use that as a part of a national strategy, which is what we are trying to do, what understanding the threat's trying to do. And um, what's amazing is the amount of assault that we have weathered over the years because our adversaries know if what we are doing uh, catches fire at a much greater level, uh, they're done, it's over. So when you talk about hope, yeah, uh, I believe as a person of faith, uh, there's no reason to lose hope or joy um, because, you know, I have stood literally nose to nose with senior Al-Qaeda and Muslim Brother leaders. And um, I, I have very rational conversations with them because you have to understand from their perspective, their system is very rational. Sharia is very rational, brutal, inhumane, uh, completely contrary to the Western understanding of human rights but it's very rational. And that's the disconnect for a lot of people. Uh, they cannot believe that somebody who appears nice could look them in the eye and lie to them, which is shocking to me. Uh, they can't believe that somebody who's so friendly who would play, their children would play with their children, have them over for dinner, would even contemplate uh, brutally slaughtering their entire family, which they do. I mean, this is how they operate. Talk to the Hindus in India uh, that might give you a clue. So, um, this is really important. There's great hope, mm -hmm. but it has to be at the local level. I tell people, if you're spending more than 5% of your brain time or actions doing something federally yeah. at the national level, you're wrong. 95% of your time should be spent in your local town. Who's on your chamber of commerce? What are they doing? What are your local banking systems doing? What are your local school systems doing? What's your mayor doing? City county council doing? What is your sheriff doing? What are your police chiefs doing? Start there, end there, focus all your attention there. And when they're not doing things to advance the cause of liberty mm -hmm. and a Republican form of government, then they should be backslapped. You know, they should find a two by four to the side of their head mm -hmm. and you should either remove them or in some cases, which is fitting, criminally prosecute them, uh, but certainly bring the, organize the community. That's what we do. We basically show communities, look, here's how you organize, here are the ways you can do this, here's how you find these people in your community, uh, and people are excited. It, it makes them really filled with uh, joyful anticipation, as I like to say, because we're giving them, we're handing them many, many tools to actually take care of business at the local level. You're empowering them. Yeah, that's awesome. I wanted to ask you that you were talking about, uh, you know, people see the threat of the globalist uh, and certainly, you know, the uh, uh, the different NGO organizations and certainly the military industrial complex. How does that factor into all of this? Yeah, well, as I said earlier, you know, we get questions all the time. What about right. World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab? What about the United right. Nations? What about the Masons? What about the Illuminati? What about, <laughs> well, that, that's, that's all. And, and and each of those things uh, is, in, in my opinion, there's a problematic aspect to it. And in some cases, World Economic Forum, extremely dangerous to individual liberty um, and all kinds of things. Sure. Um, certainly our Republic, the way they're coming at us. But at the local county level, 
There's nothing you can do about the World Economic Forum. What you can do is you can shut down opportunities in your county for them and where they're operating. So a lot of times they're operating through um, the chambers of commerce and they're mm -hmm. operating through churches mm -hmm. and they're operating through local banking systems. Yep. And so um, when citizens, again, um, stop it at the local level, yeah. Uh, that's then then you there's one county and there's another county and there's another county where they can't operate in the United States. And at this point, you know, we used to work. I've done quite a bit of work uh, in Europe, uh, in India, uh, a little bit of work in Canada uh, with with both governmental and citizen groups there. Yeah. Uh, but all of our times, folks, in the United States, because I don't think people understand we are on the, the precipice of losing everything. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for people to understand because most Americans uh, are good at understanding war where there are tanks, guns, planes, infantry. This is primarily not that kind of war. This is a war where the termites are eating away the house and you the house looks fine until it collapses in on itself and it's not fine. And that's where we are right now. And so what I believe is the work we're doing, we're not only teaching people to find the bad guys and flesh them out. We're also creating communities that now know how to operate and are empowered. And they're remembering that they are the government. The people we send to the state house or to the governor's mansion or to the Congress or to the white house, they are only based on our social compact with them. They're allowed to rule us so long as they rule justly as legally defined by the law of nature and nature's God, which is the foundation per our declaration, which is the ideal. And people don't understand that legally defined at the time of our founding uh, in the primary textbook law book that our founders use Blackstone's commentaries, the law of nature is the will of God, natural law in creation and Holy scripture. No law can be made that violates those two. And so when you rule like that, you and we are the government, we allow people, we make a compact with them to, to rule over us so long as they rule justly. You have a system where man-made laws don't contradict that. And therefore it produces a, a society filled with liberty, which then uh, out of that blossoms creativity. And we are the, we are the nation that created this car and the plane and the uh, radio and the TV and the microchip because of that, which makes us then prosperous, right. which is why our adversaries are assaulting that founding principle, the law of nature and nature's God. It's why they, the communists got the Bible out of the, uh, uh, at, from the early 1600s to 1963, we have the Bible in school. And that's why they had it removed. That's why they uh, claimed uh, and uh, we surrendered all religious uh, Christian expression or much of it in the public space. Uh, and I blame for that. Listen, I don't blame communists for acting like communists or jihadis acting like jihadis. Christian pastors and Republicans are the reason the country is in the, the, the place it's in today. Christian pastors who are ignorant, who are cowards, who are uh, 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 not only afraid to speak the truth about their own Christian faith, but they're afraid to point out the darkness in the, in the community from these groups. And instead of uh, calling a wolf a wolf, they tell the, the flock that this is just another sheep and let it in. And they can't figure out why people are uh, falling away from, from Christianity in America. It's because uh, they're looking for a bold, uh, truthful leadership. Uh, on the other hand, the Republicans... Uh, are just stepping back and stepping back uh, for the last, at least the last two decades, I would argue it's been longer than that. Um, but it's horrible. Uh, name, you know, who's, uh, if I ask your entire audience, give me the names of the real uh, founding principle-minded, constitutionally-minded patriot uh, leaders mm -hmm. in Congress, in the House and the Senate. We'd all pick the same four or five people. And in that sad, out of 535, we can come up with five or six names. I mean, it's that that's where we are.
That is uh, right. So it has to, this whole thing has to be fixed at the local level where we, we are there. Yeah. And part of it is, um, Courtney, is this is also the hardest thing because now you're dealing with people in many cases, you know, and those are the people you got to put, put the heel to because yeah. they're advancing. That's why people don't like to do it because it's more difficult because you got to live around these people. Yep. And I'm saying you don't have to live around them. You should be putting them out of your community. Right. Because they're destroying everything you you love and uh, everything this country is. Yeah. Well, it, it may be harder, but it's also a lot more effective. I mean, when you're dealing face-to-face with someone, it, you have a lot more impact than, you know, the, the theoretical someone that's over there, you know. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely right. And I would say I do agree in terms of the Republicans, it's, uh, you know, decades, I would actually argue it's the inception. I think this is part of the reason why, you know, Washington didn't want there to be parties. I think there has been, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it's been kind of a controlled opposition for the left agenda. You know, you look at the, the founding of the party was the idea of was more government, and that's not the answer. So they're not really uh, traditional constitutional conservatives in the way that we think of. So I think it is incumbent upon the constitutional conservatives to stand for the principles. And I also think locally, there shouldn't be parties. It's it's really, it requires a lot more vetting. It requires a lot more due diligence, but it's it really should be about the principles. I think that's, a, that's my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are on any of that, but... Well, I think, I think a couple of things you said, um, you know, if you look back uh, at men like uh, Scoop Jackson or Harry Truman or John Kennedy, um, mm -hmm. regardless of what you thought about their policies, I mean, in today's world, John Kennedy, who was a Democrat, mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't be welcome at all in the oh. Democrat. <laughs> He'd be all he right. A, he was a pro-America, <laughs> pro-military, uh, low-tax uh, freedom, you know, free market economy guy, yeah. uh, for the most part. Sure. Um, there were some uh, exceptions. You know, Harry, right. Harry Truman, who uh, I think history has uh, redeemed quite a bit in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I have a lot of respect for Harry Truman. Here's a guy that got thrust into literally uh, global, all, you know, uh, altering decisions he had to make um, in a time where everything was on, on the line. Uh, and these people, he thought about America and who we are first. That's not the today's Democrat Party. It is literally the Communist Party. The Communist Party USA is directly aligned with the Democrat Party. In and uh, you know now officially aligned. Yeah. So, so, um, and if you look at the Republican Party, that was literally the party of Lincoln, and it stood mm -hmm. for liberty. Um, I think that it's the principles mm -hmm. of the founding that should yeah. be uh, highlighted. Um, I would also say this, uh, you know, uh, Margaret Thatcher once famously said with regards to our economic system, you know, uh, free market economy, uh, capitalism, it's, a, it's the worst system in the world, except for all the others. And, and I would say, you know, the beauty of America is the most prosperous, longest standing constitutional republic in the history of the world for a reason. Mm -hmm. So it's not perfect. Uh, and the reason it's not perfect, sadly to say, is because we have humans involved. <laughs> and, we, and we humans tend to be, um, uh, you know, sometimes selfish, sometimes greedy, sometimes fill in the blank with all the other vices in our lives. Yeah. And those virtues what the American system of government does is it gives man's uh, best virtues the best opportunity to blossom. And that's why we've been so successful. And, and that's why I love it. It's why I, you know, swore an oath. It's why I defended it with my life. And I, you know, the oath of office has no uh, expiration date on it. And I know a lot of people that uh, have served in civilian and military government that feel that way. Uh, but a lot of people are confused. It's, you know, how is all this happening? What's happening? And I think over the years, what I've been able to do with, with a couple of colleagues and what we do now with understanding the threat is we help uh, citizens, Americans, look at what's happening and we show them, look here, let me put this into a perspective. The analogy I use that I love to use is 
Imagine you're sitting in a 3D movie without the glasses for 20 minutes and you're very confused. And literally what we do, what I do is I'll walk up and hand you the glasses and you put them on and you see the world for what it really is and what is actually transpiring around you. That, that what's happened, especially in the last six years, is the intentional outcome of a hundred year communist movement in the United States and a 60 plus year Islamic movement in the United States working together to destroy the Republic. And make no mistake, the people in power right now intend to destroy the Republic. And their actions aren't because they're crazy or stupid or moronic, it's because they're intentionally doing it. Yeah. And they have meetings with leaders at the international level, at the national level, at the local level, where they stand in rooms or sit in rooms and they lay it out. We know that because, uh, well, we have a pretty good intel network here at UTT. And so we're pretty, uh, pretty well plugged into what they're doing. And so that's the reality that we have people, believe it or not, who are evil and want to do evil. And they want to destroy. They don't want to do what people like you and I want to do, which is you know, give ourselves and our families and our friends the best opportunity to be the best people they can be, which is what America offers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And are these people, uh, you know, these uh, jihadi and the communist organizations that, that, that are they tied to these global organizations as well? Yes. A lot of them are absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, birds of a feather, um, so I, I would say, uh, you know, at the international level, uh, we've seen a lot of these um, leaders like in Germany and France and Canada are acolytes of Klaus Schwab. Right. Um, and they're, they're ideologically communist. Right. That's what this is. Yeah. Uh, they may, they may argue. And fascist. They may say, I, would, I would argue fascist as well, but yes. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, but the point is, it's all, uh, it's anti-individual liberty, it's anti-God, and it's, it's uh, anti-free market economy. Sure. It's all about, it, it. honestly, Courtney, it comes down to control of the state and power. That's what these people are all about. That's all they're ever about. And when people say, why is Joe Biden doing this? Control, control of the state and power. Why are these people, control of the state and power. That's what it's all about. Why the Green New Deal? It's about destroying our economy and having uh, destroying businesses and having control over businesses. Why are they opening the border? Because they want to destroy the infrastructure. They want they want the chaos. They want the and people are having a hard time. But well, why would they do that? Well, I don't know. Why would they open the border? Give people who are illegally here, criminals and terrorists, money and fly them and bust them into the interior of the United States? Right. I don't know. Uh, there's one answer that's glaring that makes sense. And it's the, it's the answer. It's because they're doing what they say they're going to do. Uh, and this is a, it's tremendously well-coordinated uh, and it's not anything but just what it is. And the facts are on the table. Uh, to me, it's pretty simple, but right. apparently not to everyone. <laughs> not, not to everyone. That's why we do this is to, to help uh, clarify it for people. So Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I do want to be respectful of your time, but if you have anything else you want to add, and of course, tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find understanding the threat and get involved. Yes, thank you. Well, first of all, this has been a great discussion. I really appreciate it. I think you're a, you're a great host. Uh, this yeah. has been fun for me. Um, thank you. I think uh, I encourage people to go to understandingthethreat.com. Um, do a few things. The simplest thing is sign up for the newsletter. And the reason I say that is it plugs you into not just the articles and uh, kind of current events and our assessment of that, but also into our training uh, and into what we're doing. That's, that's the simple thing, number one. Number two, bring our three-day into action program to your community and get trained. It's pretty simple. Go to our contact page on the website, understandingthethreat.com, say, hey, we want to bring you guys to anywhere USA. Um, and so let, and it opens up the conversation. Okay, so let's talk logistics and dates. Uh, here it is, minimum of 50 people, five zero. 
It's $295 a seat for three days of training that only exists at UTT. Nowhere else uh, in the West is this being done. And when you walk out of the three-day training, you will not only understand the threat and what's actually going on, you'll be organized as a team, or if you have different counties, multiple teams. We just did a training last week where we actually trained two counties simultaneously in three days. And they walked out and they were organized. They had a team leader. Everyone knew their roles on the team. They had a mission, they had a target, and they walked out with what they were gonna do and how they were gonna do it. That's what we do. And so they're out there this week, uh, kicking the bad guys in the heads, proverbially speaking. And uh, that's what that's how we take back our counties. Yeah. And uh, we, it's really, you're, you're limited only by your experience, training, and your own creativity. And uh, I'll tell you, most American citizens are pretty creative. So uh, that's exciting. Uh, so that's what I would encourage. So newsletter, bring the into action training. And then I would ask everybody, consider uh, joining uh, the National Security Academy, which is our online training platform, which many, I would say a majority of our into action graduates join because it's literally, you have not only the entire into action training uh, in video format with tests and everything online, mm -hmm. you also then have other things and we're growing and we're growing our civic action uh, curriculum and our uh, civil preparedness curriculum. Uh, so we're excited about that, but we're, we're raising money to do that. So those are things you can do. And then also we ask people to donate. We're a, we're a business, but Americans for America, which is a nonprofit supports our work. And because we're the only ones in the West doing this, uh, they've been proud to support us. And they also support people like my friends, uh, Katie Hopkins and Trevor Loudon and others. Um, uh, so it's a great they're organization. Great. Trevor's so, been on my podcast. I, I know Katie, they're great. Yeah, yeah, they are great. Love them. Just talked to Trevor yesterday. Uh, great friends. And um, uh, that's why I say, I mean, I've, I looked through your list of uh, uh, <laughs> podcasts. You have quite a few. I think you have like 150 or more. Yeah. And uh, so keep up the work you're doing. And, and I would say to everyone too, just share understandingthethreat.com that even if you don't want to get involved for whatever reason, because uh, you're crazy, I don't know, uh, <laughs> you know, let others know that we're out there. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you and your, your audience. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for being here and for what you're doing. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. God bless you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.